We're continuing on. We're marching on in our Advent series, Songs of Hope, where, remember, we've used kind of the term playlist, that we've created a playlist in a sense of these songs of the Bible uh, that point us to the salvation that God is bringing to his people. And so we started out in the book of songs, the Psalms, and then we went back to Exodus. And last week we were in Isaiah. And this week we come to the first couple chapters of Luke. You know, these chapters of Luke are, are uh, a passage that we're normally in during this season, during this Advent, during this Christmas season. And I've told you that Bibles are, or that songs are all throughout the Bible. Um, in the first couple of chapters of Luke alone, you get four songs, right? You get Mary's song, uh, the mother of Jesus sings a song, angels sing a song, and we're going to look at those in the coming weeks. Uh, Simeon sings a song when Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple, and the song that we're going to give our attention to this morning is Zechariah's song. Zechariah encounters God's tender mercy And it changes him in such a way that it leads him to sing a song. So let's look at Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 80. Let's look at this song that we have for us today. Hear now God's word. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in the spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray, friends. Good and gracious Father, um, in you are hidden all the treasures, treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Um, we pray this morning that you would open our eyes to the wonders of your word and, and that you would give us the, the grace to clearly understand uh, and freely choose the way of wisdom. In these next minutes, we wish and we need to see your Son and our Savior. We wish to see Jesus. It's in, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Just over a week ago in the Washington Post, there was a a classical music critic, uh, a guy named Michael Brodeur, who wrote an article, and and this is the title of the article, all right? 2020 broke Christmas music. Here's what I'm listening to instead, all right? And here's some of what he says in this article that appeared in the Post. He says, in 2020, every carol stings like a murder hornet, which I'll remind you, remain a thing. 
Um, I'll be home for Christmas. Yes, so I've been instructed. Um, the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, I see we are grading on a curve. Um, here comes Santa Claus. Uh, not without a mask, he doesn't. And don't even think about kissing my mother. There really aren't enough chestnuts in the world to make this holiday season feel like reason to sing. And then he adopts a more serious tone and and he says this, What if the music that fills our collective Decembers were less about dredging up all of our collective Decembers? What if it were less about presents than presents? What if the songs of the season didn't demand a mass emotional pivot, the obligations of cheers? What if they let some of the cold in? I found myself hunting for music to store away that might resonate more clearly within the peculiar acoustics of a dark, difficult winter. And my notion is that many of us might be in a place like this, that we might have some of the similar sentiments of this classical music critic, that we might feel this way, that while our, uh, our Christmas lights are up, we're having a hard time trying to align that with some of the darkness and the cold and the difficulty that we are uh, face, uh, facing in the season, that, um, that we might have this low tolerance this year, especially for a commercialized or overly sentimentalized Christmas experience. And so the song we come to this morning, in some ways, this song does let some of the cold in, right? Like we're going to see that it doesn't deny the cold and the dark and the difficult. It acknowledges it, um, but it also brings hope to it, right? Like it, um, it speaks of the presence of the one who's going to bring light and hope into our life. If it helps to have an outline, some direction where we're going as we we make our way through the passage this morning, we're going to do a few things. We're going to consider the composer, and then we're going to look at this song, and he really sings about two things. He sings about God, and he sings about his son. Um, Not God's son at first. He sings about, Zechariah sings about his son, John the Baptist, Uh, and then he ends up singing about Jesus as well. But so we're going to consider the uh, composer. We're going to see what he says about God and what he says about his son. And my hope, my aim is that this will help us see the reasons we have to sing and to serve in this season. Um, Guys, we sang God Rest You Merry Gentlemen. All right, that's a really, y'all know that's a really old song. Uh, comes from like the 16th century. And I've probably sang it for like 40 years of my life. And I've really never thought about it in the way I did this year when we sing, God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Right? And I'm thinking like, did they know about 2020? Like, really? Am I, I'm supposed to be dismayed about nothing? How do, how do you even do that? And then what's the next word? Remember, right? Like that's my prayer this morning is that we'll, we'll have a fresh opportunity to remember what Christ has done for us. Let's start by uh, considering the composer. Verse uh, 67, chapter 1, uh, it starts off with these words, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. So who is Zechariah? We need to know something about him, his experience, his backstory, so we know a little bit about his song, even more about uh, why he would write what he writes here in the song. And so if we want to know about Zechariah, we find out about him uh, in the previous verses of this chapter. Uh, we're not going to go back and read it. I'll give you a quick summary, all right? 
Zechariah, father of John the Baptist, married to a woman named Elizabeth. And we're told this about them, that they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. We're also told that Elizabeth was barren, right? Um, so we would, we would know that in that uh, kind of cultural and religious society, that barrenness was often viewed as judgment from God. But we know that can't be the case because we were just told that they were righteous and they were blameless. So this can't be a judgment. What is going on here? Um, What we come to understand as we read this story is that um, Zechariah is a man that's lived in dark days. Right? Like he's lived in dark days personally and he's lived in dark days as the people of God. So dark days personally, like him and Elizabeth know the reality of um, month after month, year after year, and still they don't have a child. Right? And some of us know that darkness. And when you're in that darkness of infertility, you can feel all alone. We want to make sure you know as a church you're not alone. Talk to someone in your community group or someone on staff uh, to help bring light to that kind of darkness. So Zechariah knew darkness personally. He also knew darkness as just part of the people of God. This was a dark time for them. God had been silent. Like it had been 400 years since they had heard from a prophet. Malachi, 400 years ago. All right, it had been 500 years since an angel showed up on the scene in the book of Daniel. So uh, this is a dark time for the people of God. Um, they are under occupation by the Romans, right? So Zechariah, he writes this song, but he writes it as one who has known dark and difficult times. In the midst of all this, he's still serving God. He's still showing up at the temple. His role is the role of a priest. And then he's selected to go and light the incense in the temple and serve in the, the temple there. And so in spite of all the darkness, he's still there serving. He's serving in the temple one day, and lo and behold, the angel Gabriel shows up and says, hey, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a son, and they're going to call him John, and he's going to bring joy and gladness and make ready a people for the Lord. So in his dark days, an angel shows up. And friends, I got to say, I, I really resonate with his response, because what does he say? How am I going to know? Like, I, how do I know what you're saying is true? Like, I tend to think that many of us would be like, hey, if I could just hear a direct word from the Lord about this situation, I'd be all good. Like, if he would just send an angel, I'm good. Apparently, God can do that, and you can still have doubts. Zechariah still has doubts. He's like, okay, well, how am I going to know? And Gabriel stands before them and kind of says, Really? Like, how are you going to know? I'm the angel Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, but you've asked for a sign. Be careful what you ask for, right? Because you know Gabriel's like, okay, well, you're not going to be able to speak until this comes true. Um, That gives Zechariah plenty of time to consider who God is and what God can do, right? Uh, What kind of song would you write? What would you say after you couldn't speak for about uh, nine months? I also thought that some of us husbands might benefit from not speaking during our wife's pregnancy. That might save us from some trouble sometimes. But nine months go by. It's time for the child to be born, and and the the narrative picks up. The family gathers around. Really, the whole community is there because Zechariah hasn't been able to talk, and this old lady is about to have a baby. And the baby comes, and Elizabeth says his name's going to be John. 
The crowd's like, wait a second, no one's named that in the family. What's going on? They look to Zechariah. He writes down the word John. And I love that John is short for Yohanan, this Hebrew word for meaning God's gracious gift. Like the first word we see written in Luke's gospel is about God's grace. And I love that. Uh, And so when he confirms what the angels says, his tongue is loosed. And you'll see Luke's uh, writing goes from prose to poetry. And now we enter into his song. So that's a little bit about the author. Let's look at what he sings about God. Look at the first few verbs we see there in this song. Notice, notice what he says. He says, listen, God visited his people. He redeemed his people. He raised up a horn of salvation. All right, we read that phrase, horn of salvation, and we're probably like, I don't really know what that means. Like, we don't really talk a lot about horns these days. Um, uh, it, you might, you know, if you ever read Daniel, it talks a lot about horns there. There's ten horns, there's a little horn, there's all kinds of horns. Um, this culture would have known that uh, when we speak about horns, we speak about power. Right? Like, horns are where uh, the powerful end of the animal is. It's the business end of the animal, right? And so when Zechariah speaks about raising up a horn, he's speaking about raising up a powerful one from the house of David. This is all uh, messianic language. We heard the song of the servant last week in Isaiah. And so uh, Zechariah is saying, that powerful one that Isaiah spoke about, God's, God's brought him and is bringing him uh, this child that's going to be born, visited, redeemed, raised up. Friends, let me ask you, look in those verses and see what role man plays in salvation. We see here that uh, salvation is radically God-centered. It's his work. It's what he does. Um, If you're new here this morning or if you've got friends that you're trying to explain the message of Christianity to, even in this Advent season, it's helpful for all of us to remember that um, when it comes to salvation, we are receivers and responders, all right? And Zechariah's song shows us that. We are receivers and responders. Christianity is not about earning and achieving. It's about receiving and responding, and Zechariah's song makes that clear. I also love in verse 70 that he just points out like, hey, this salvation, God spoke about it through the prophets. Again and again, God pointed to it and God spoke about it. Why would God need to do that? Because we are a forgetful people. Um, You might see some uh, news stories these days and uh, you can understand why, but the Gallup organization has taken some polls and just pointing that the, the mental health in our country is as in a precarious spot as it's ever been, the lowest spot it's ever been. But one of their findings was that those who are doing um, better in this season um, are those with regular, it actually delineated it, weekly church attendance, whether it's online or in person. Those that are doing better are those with weekly church attendance. And it has to have something to do with the fact that Every week you're being reminded that there is a hope, right? We're being reminded of God's grace in our life. And so God, because of his grace, sent prophets to his people to remind them because his people are a forgetful people. And I need to remember, and you need to remember that like our circumstances aren't our greatest threat. It's our forgetfulness. Like in these weeks ahead and really for the rest of our lives, our forgetfulness poses the greatest threat to finding life and hope in dark days. And so 
We see God's work. It's God-centered. We see that he reminds his people. And then in verse 74, it says this, that God's people are delivered from the hand of our enemies that we might serve him without fear. That is, his, his salvation has a purpose. Um, we're not saved uh, just so that we can get into heaven. We're not saved just so that we can come spend an hour a week together, as important that is. We're actually saved so that we might serve him without fear for all of our days. That means, you know, when we go to high school or we go to middle school, um, we're called to serve him in that space. That means uh, when our neighbor's tree falls on our fence, what does it look like to serve God then and there? Um, in the midst of uh, mental health challenges, as we're a caregiver for those that God's put in our family, how do we serve him every week for all of our lives? We're called to serve him. We're saved for a purpose. So he sings about God, God bringing salvation, working salvation, reminding us of salvation and saving us for a purpose. And then he sings about his son. That is, he sings about John the Baptist's son, and he says this about him. He says, um, he's called to be the prophet of the Most High. That is, John the Baptist is going to be the final prophet. Prophets are pointers, right? They point to Jesus. All of the prophets are pointing to the salvation of Christ. Um, Isaiah, last week, the servant song, pointing to Jesus. Hosea, this guy that's called to pursue a prostitute, he's pointing to Jesus who's going to come and pursue an adulterous people, right? And we could go on and on, but prophets are pointers. And he saying, hey, my son, he's going to be the final pointer. Um, He's going to point to this reality that salvation involves forgiveness of sins. And that's important because, like, we're really bad at knowing what we need sometimes. The people of God are really bad at knowing what they need. You can understand that the people of God at that time, in that century, thought maybe what we need is a political liberator. Maybe what we need is to be just set free from the Romans and everything's going to be okay. Um, and this verse reminds us that there's a salvation that brings um, liberation from something much greater than the Romans. It brings liberation from sin, from the darkness inside of us. You know, Zechariah then goes into this light and dark image uh, imagery. And I think sometimes like our cultural uh, expression of Christmas can do us a disservice. There's a lot of like cultural rules that some of us adopt. And I don't know what like your family's rules are. Like one of my rules is like we would, I love this tree and a lot of work has gone into making that tree happen. But like a fake tree would never appear in my house. All right. I am from Western North Carolina. Ornamental shrubbery is kind of our thing. All right. Like that is a threat to our livelihood where I'm from. Um, I don't know what your uh, kind of family rules are, even about when you start celebrating Christmas. Right. Like for some it's Thanksgiving, but like after Halloween, all this stuff starts appearing in stores. And my son, I love him. My youngest is, I love both of them, but my youngest, uh, He's like a Christmas music fiend. And he was like, Dad, when, um, you know when I think we should start listening to Christmas music? And I was like, when? He's like, December 26th. You know, and I'm like, hey, fair enough. Like, I'm a Thanksgiving guy, but like it's 2020, so we can listen to Christmas music whenever we want to. But whatever your kind of practice is, there's this cultural trend of getting um, 
as we get closer to Christmas, things get brighter and brighter and cheerier and cheerier. And I think maybe we'd be helped by reacquainting ourselves of like verses 70 and 8 and 79 and seeing that like our Savior didn't enter into a well-decorated world waiting for his arrival. He stepped into the darkness. Right, like God, because of his tender mercy, and, and that, that word tender mercy speaks to like a, a feeling of the gut, like something that moves you so much that like you feel it internally. His tender mercy didn't um, send his son into a world of cheer, um, but into the, the shadow of death. In some ways, we might be better served by leaning a little bit more into uh, kind of the historic church calendar and the calendar and those, those 12 days of Christmas, right? You know, the 12 days of Christmas come after Christmas. They start uh, and they come after Christmas because that's the reality. Um, light didn't come leading up to Christ. Darkness was there. Christ came and the light followed him. All right? And that's our hope. That's your hope. And that's my hope is that he stepped into the darkness and friends, if you're not willing to acknowledge the darkness, the darkness in the world, but especially the darkness inside us, if we're not willing to acknowledge that that darkness is there, then we're not fit for Christ. Um, he didn't come to bring light to an, just a little more light to an already light world. He came to bring light to darkness. He came to bring life to death. And that's what we celebrate in this season. And that's what Zechariah is saying is, hey, my boy, John, is going to point to this one that's going to bring light and peace. And that's what we remember in this season. Um, I got to say, I do think that the, the, the classical music critic in the post was right. There, there are not enough chestnuts in the world to give us reason to sing uh, in this season. I know many of you have known dark days, uh, each in your own way. And if we're having some real talk, uh, we know that until Christ returns, there will be more dark days. Even at the end of this pandemic, um, there's going to be more dark days for us. Um, I know the music critic is right in some ways, but I definitely know that the writer of this song here in Luke is right. Um, that there, there is enough grace in God to give us reason to sing. There is enough grace in the one who brings light and peace to give us reason to sing in this season. And, and that's our hope. To, that's our hope for singing and serving. It's the same hope that Zechariah had, this encounter with the tender mercy of our God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the songs that you have put in your word, songs that help us to see uh, the love that you have for us, songs that help us to see the work that Christ does for us. And um, I just pray, would you impress these truths upon our soul? Would you help us to see that we have reason to sing and reason to serve because of what Christ has done? It's in his name we pray. Amen.